0: This show comes to you from the Art of Change Skills for Life. Visit www.artofchange.com to explore how you might grow your communication and leadership skills through workshops, coaching, and more. Plus, you get to work with me. My guest today is an experimenter and a leadership enthusiast who helps his clients make significant progress towards change that truly matters to them in his work as a facilitator, speaker, and coach. He is the author of the book, Survive and Thrive, 120 Ideas to Cultivate Your Leadership Agility, and the founding and managing director of Agility Consulting Group. Hailing from Melbourne, Australia, my guest is Andrew Williams, I'm Aidan Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Thank you for being here today, Andrew. Uh,
1: it's, a, it's a pleasure, Aidan. I'm delighted to be here. We're a long way away from each other, but in today's world, I don't think that matters too much.
0: Yeah. Um, Melbourne, Australia, you know, I've never been there. Someday I would really like to visit Melbourne, but it might be a while.
1: It might be a while, given, given current circumstances.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm getting to be a tourist in my own garden, and that's, that's got value as well.
1: Well, you're in know, the fabulous part of the world. I've been to uh, Portland, and it's a wonderful place. So uh, that's not a bad place to be if you, if you can't travel too much.
0: Yeah, yeah it's not too bad. Um, uh, well, Andrew, th- tell me a little bit about uh, what you do, or tell, tell the podcast fans a little bit what you do.
1: Sure. So uh, I've been in my business now for nearly seventeen years, and, and it's gone really quick. And uh, my work, as you sort of mentioned in the introduction, is um, is really around this byline of of helping people make progress on change that really matters to them. So I do a lot of work with individuals from a coaching perspective, but also, uh, and particularly at the moment, I'm doing a lot of work with uh, leadership teams to help them make progress on on change that really matters to them and you know with current situation with the uh, COVID-19 and the, the disruption that's creating it's really uh um uh, focused teams on how do they need to work together and collaborate more effectively and mm-hmm. sort of adapt to a new new normal so that's that's a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment
0: Prior to this year, what would you say was the thing most commonly getting in people's way that they wouldn't just be able to make the changes that were important to them without seeking external consulting?
1: Uh, I guess from an individual perspective, it's this, uh, the, the thing that they struggle the most with is that they might start something, but they don't have that resilience or perseverance to, to continue it. So they sort of find a way of, this is too clunky. I'm not good at it. I'm not meant to be good at it. And so mm. they they actually stop. And they also get um, sidetracked by a lot of the busyness that happens. And I see the same thing in teams as well. They get busy doing the day-to-day things without sort of stepping back up on the balcony and going, okay, what do we need to do different? And how do we actually uh, be disciplined around doing different?
0: What have you found is helpful in terms of helping people reach that breakthrough? Is it just having an accountability partner, a little, a little bit of cheerleading, or is there more to it?
1: The, um, the whole focus on experimentation is really critical. You talk about uh, myself okay. being an experimenter. It's much easier to do it that way than trying to make something that feels too big, and when it feels too big, they actually pull back from it, so the experimentation is something that's been a real winner for me, and and much so that uh, I'm now starting to practice a lot more around what I preach.
0: Oh, that's great! I love that idea of experimentation. It's you know, as you know, um, I have a lot of background in improvisation, and uh, one of my favorite sort of mantras to pull from that world because we get on stage without a script is mm. uh, "Don't try your best." <laughs> um which by the way i always hold on to at the exact same time of i might as well try and be perfect um so <laughs> it's this like in between zone where we like innovation and creativity and comfort and buoyancy comfort with failure and buoyancy where those things sort of live together is in between don't try your best and you might as well try to be perfect
1: Actually, that's a good point. A good thing about experimentation is, and I always have this uh, mantra, as you, you, the word you used is, um, you can never fail if you have a learning mindset. And so I've done a little bit of improv uh, as well, which was one of my experiments. And, and for me, it was just beautiful to do something where I was completely incompetent and that was okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, how many areas of our life do we give ourselves permission to be completely incompetent and have it be okay? So I think it makes a ton of sense if you want people to, um, and, you know, I think this is something we share in common, when you want people to work differently together on their teams or to innovate, uh, there has to be a a place where you give yourself permission to not be totally competent and to be in that prime place of learning something new.
1: Exactly. And, you know, if you want to step outside your comfort zone and make change that's important to you, the likelihood is is you're going to have to um, feel comfortable with being uncomfortable in that place of mm-hmm. um, incompetence, and that's okay. You know, I remember uh, someone used the expression, which I really love, is that, you know, development is getting out towards your frontier of comps and beyond. And I think that's really true. What, what does it look like when I take that extra step where it suddenly feels, okay, this is clunky, this is, I'm not good at this, but actually this is a great learning experience. And, and I think that's what helps people make progress on change is to gradually get out there beyond that frontier of competence.
0: Have you always been so comfortable and driven by the idea of change or what has your relationship been with this sort of broad idea over the years?
1: Uh, so, um, at a macro level, I used to work at uh, Ernst & Young in the change management practice. So I always felt at an organisational level that I was uh, pretty comfortable from a process perspective in helping organisations deliver on change. Um, but to be honest, I probably wasn't great in my own sort of journey on change and I even for someone like myself who lives in this world, that the change is not easy. You know, I can see habits that, or, or things that I wanted to make progress on that, you know, I wasn't making progress on. And it, it, it gives me empathy when I work with my clients that the change is actually not easy. But what you do need, and you'll know this, is you need to be optimistic around it. There needs to be a willingness that you can do it. Um, being that um, optimist around change.
0: You're talking about, you know, the importance of belief. You have to believe in your ability to complete the mission, so to speak, to go on the journey and come out better for it. And I think that that's a key element to whether or not you're going to have this resistant journey where you fight, negotiate and slide back or you just keep plodding forward and enjoying the ride as you go along.
1: Yes. look, one of the things I think that's been important to me and it's a realisation, um, well, it's, 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 it's two things. One, um, I've been fairly intentional over my life around the diversity of experiences. And I think the more diverse your experiences are, um, the easier it is to cope with change because diversity of experience by its very nature is, is about change. Uh, so so that, that's been great. You know, I've lived in different parts of the world. I've set up businesses. I've you know, moved, had different careers, et cetera. Um, but, and, but the second thing is, and this has been a really powerful thing for me, is recognising that people don't actually resist change. They resist the loss associated with the change. Mm-hmm. And I think when people come to terms and recognise what's at stake from a loss perspective, I think it's easier to then navigate that change. So, you know, loss could be status or power or the familiarity of working on a particular project. Think about what's at stake from a loss perspective as opposed to, again, to think about what's happening from the change perspective.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. So it sounds like you would suggest that it might be helpful to make room for a little bit of that grief um that comes up with with loss the similarities between that change uh the arc of how we think about a change we might be going through and the arc of how we process grief that there may actually be a benefit there to spending some time thinking about the loss aspect
1: absolutely i mean you know we think about that in our personal life you know the when a relationship uh uh, changes we go through the the loss of that and that is no different from a an organisational perspective is that, you know, I, I use the term that we need to help people to speak to the loss that they're experiencing. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've heard corporate people say, you know, I want my people on the train, get off the platform, otherwise they get left behind, without yeah. recognising that the people are experiencing loss and different losses for different people. And so we, we need to help people, you know, to use your word, grieve that loss, speak to that loss, acknowledge it, that loss and help them move through that as we would do for a friend who'd had a relationship breakdown or maybe lost their job.
0: Yeah, that's super intriguing. Uh, when I reflect back on different phases that I've gone through, sometimes that's been more needed than others. Um, it's a very interesting concept. I want to chew on it more.
1: Yeah, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a good point. And I think the, the the one point I would add to that is it doesn't matter whether change is positive or negative, it, it, it still involves the, the feeling of loss. So, you, you know, I could give someone $10 million and that will change their life, but there'll be loss associated with that as well. And, and recognising and acknowledging that I think is um, incredibly important.
0: Thank you for sharing that perspective. Um, speaking of sharing, would you share a little bit, something a little more personal? Um, you know, the, the podcast mission here is to collect stories from people as a way of sort of examining how we understand the word change itself, because we use it in so many contexts. Um, and so uh, would you, Andrew? Andrew? Tell us a story from your real life, of a moment of change or pivot that you experienced.
1: Sure, I can. I can do that. And, it, and it's it's always lovely to to share something uh, that makes me feel a degree of vulnerability because the story is one of vulnerability. And I I actually looked up the date uh, of of when this thing happened. It was May the first, two thousand and eighteen, and I. Had um, I was finishing the end of my book, as you talked about earlier, and um, I was just reading through the last few chapters, and I'd, I'd had this really busy three-year stretch, and I was reading the last few chapters, which was around stepping outside comfort zone. It was around experimentation, and as I was reading this, I suddenly felt this significant dread. And I felt like an imposter, a fake, a fraud, inauthentic, whatever word. And I suddenly just, there was this miserable feeling. And I remember uh, at the time going, um, here am I out there trying to help my clients make progress on change that matters. And I'm not doing this myself. I'm not embodying, I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. And um, I remember it, I was actually at this table that I'm um, speaking from today. And so I, uh, I knew that I needed to let that percolate. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. And it, uh, I, it percolated for a couple of months. And then in July, 2018, I uh, when I'd handed over the manuscript to my editor, I actually thought to myself, um, I need to make a change or pivot, to use your word, um, in my life if I am truly going to embody what I'm talking about, and which is, um, you know, the experiment, stepping outside my comfort zone and the realisation that actually I was unhappy in my life. And so what I decided to do was to, well, um, uh, just, just before that, I I remember reading a quote, you may have heard this quote, which is from Joseph Campbell, uh, a, an American philosopher, who said, um, uh, the caves that you avoid have the treasures that you seek. And I remember reading that and I going, oh gosh, that's powerful. You know, here was I in my life avoiding the caves of vulnerability, connectedness, self care, self love, all of these things. And so I decided my intervention was to take a sabbatical and to take six months off. But not only that, to run a series of experiments. And these experiments were to, as we talked about earlier, to take me outside my comfort zone, beyond my frontier of competence, and, and actually get me into a place of vulnerability and connectedness, both with myself and with other people. So uh, there are a number of experiments. You know, I did stand-up comedy. I did improvisation comedy. I uh, I ran a marathon at Mount Everest um, for my sins. <laughs> I, um, I did works. meditation. I did meditation in uh, um, Thailand for sort of 14 days. Um, I did a month of gratitude where I sent out a card to 31 people over a month expressing gratitude for what they have given to me in my life. And, but each, each of the um, experiments was to really test me around incompetence because one of the things that I realised, goes back to early about why people struggle around change, is that competence for me was a mask, it was an armour, and that if I was okay in this world, if I was competent at something. So growing up, if I was competent at sports, Um, I was all right and then it became um, uh, more around my my work and you know I got good at my work uh, but something was missing as well and so my journey around these experiments um, has helped me to be more vulnerable and more empathetic as well. To actually live and breathe I think the process of change um, is incredibly important because I think it does give us this empathy. Uh, and so for me to have that as a pivotal experience and to remember vividly, and, and and I don't know when you've talked to other people about their experiences, but this real visceral feeling for me of shame and um, self-doubt and fraudulence. Um, and I needed to feel that over a couple of months to give me the sense of um, impetus to do the work that I needed to do. And that was to take the time off to run these series of experiments.
0: Wow. Thank you. Of the experiments that you did, was there one that you were like, you had a like a really strong reaction to negative or positive?
1: So uh, look, I would say, Pretty much all of them had a reaction, but the one that um, I had the greatest reaction to was running a marathon at Mount Everest. Not every day. I wondered, I
0: wondered if that might be the one that got the strongest, and I'm curious to find out what it is. But when I heard you say that, I was like, uh, uh, that sounds hard.
1: No, absolutely. And no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I want to go and run a marathon at Mount Everest. So, look, I've always, the last five or six years I've been a a runner. I've never been a runner before that. And I've done a a couple of marathons. But um, I wanted to pick something that would physically challenge me. Um, and, And I'm an asthmatic, so I knew that being in altitude, it would physically challenge me. And I remember uh, arriving in Kathmandu uh, and I went via Singapore and I had a couple of days in Singapore and I arrived in Kathmandu and I just had this wave of anxiety that I cannot remember the last time I experienced um, uh, at all. This, I don't want to do this, I want to get on a plane. I actually looked at flights um, uh, back to Singapore and I'd travel around Asia before I went back. Layer in three weeks' time. I even thought about flying to London, you know. Um, and, and, and I remember going down to the, um, the restaurant um, at breakfast on the morning we were to leave. And uh, so I was surrounded by all of these Iron Men people, people who'd done ultra distance. You could see the t- T-shirts on the back. And all I could think about is, what have I got myself into? And what was really interesting is that there was a, um, a marathon, an ultra-marathon and a half-marathon. I'd actually enrolled in the half-marathon. Anyway, I got on the bus and I started chatting to this guy and he was doing the half-marathon. And in the whole bus, there was only two of us doing the half-marathon. Uh, I looked at him and I thought, I've got this. If he can do it, I can do it. So we eventually got up to um, the uh, base camp and we had two nights of acclimatizing. The problem for me in that was that I, I had a sleeping bag that would have been perfect for an American summer, but oh, not no. great for minus 15 temperature because oh. because where, where the half marathon started was in this beautiful spot of Boshe where I would have had you know, big um, um, uh, blankets and all of that. So I was always knew I was going to be warm, but not not up the top. So it didn't start good. And then they told us the statistics that the three people will, won't finish this race. Um, you know, uh, broken ankles, broken collarbones, um, you know, um, uh, they might get food poisoning, um, um, you know, influenza, all sorts of things. And so I just thought, oh no, everything is working against me. But I remember starting it, and you start at like 7 in the morning, it's minus 7, you're at 5,400 metres. And, and for me, all I wanted to do was to run this marathon in about 10 hours. If I could do that, I was okay. And what people don't realise with altitude is you literally, it's, unless you're a, a supreme athlete, um, you can run downhill a little bit, but it's really hard to run on a flat. A- and up a hill, it's impossible. But what I learned from this is, is that I, I, I did it and I, I survived it. And uh, it was about 9 hours and 20 minutes. But the thing I learned was, is that even though I had this enormous anxiety... Um, I knew when I started the race that I could do it. So it goes back to that change before around feeling positive. Um, I felt vulnerable that uh, that I might fail. But what I thought was I went back to my own teaching, which is one foot in front of the other, just keep moving forward. No matter how hard it feels, if you keep moving forward, and I often use the expression, you know, nudging the system forward. Um, For me, I remember at times I'd gone for seven and a half hours or eight hours, it was starting to get a little bit towards dusk, it was getting cooler again, and and I had about five k's to go, and all I could see, and I was exhausted, I'd hardly eaten, and all I could think about was just keep moving forward. And for me, that is my motto now is... Um, yes I've got to look back and reflect but for me there is an element of no matter how tough something is just keep moving forward and and the feeling at the end maybe not right at the end because I did collapse but the feeling I think when I finished it and had some time to reflect on it was just super proud like Mm -hmm. I don't often think we give ourselves space to go yeah I did that and I'm proud of that and and we should be able to, and you'll know this in your work, celebrating success is an important part of the change process. And, and for me, looking at those small breadcrumbs that suggest, hey, I'm making progress here, um, you have to celebrate that. You have to reinforce that. And I think with teams, um, we need to get better at that as well as, as we make change. So there's an example of uh, something that that had a visceral uh, reaction to me.
0: I love that. That story is so vivid as well. And it's just, uh, and it's relatable for me. I put myself through doing a triathlon as as a non-athlete. And um, what's cool about it is I can say, I finished the Cap Texas triathlon in 100 degree heat. I can say that, and what people hear when I say that is different than the richness of experience that mm. uh, I associate with that story. And it's really easy to breeze past what people hear when you say I ran a marathon at Mount Everest.
1: <laughs> but yes. it sounds
0: like you actually took the time to go. Yeah, I definitely did that, um, and I'm <laughs> proud of it because it would be easy. And I think some people fall into this trap with other changes in their lives. It's easy to think about the journey that you were on, the difficult parts, the challenges, and just get caught up in that and think that that's what that sentence means. It means I had all these hardships, but actually there's all this triumph as well. Mm. So the story is so vivid and the takeaway is so lovely.
1: Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Oh, that's a, that's, that's a pleasure. Look, just, just uh, as a side note to that, I, you know, as an experiment, even though it was quite a big experiment, um, what I wanted to do during it and afterwards was just watch the level of anxiety and the level of feeling incompetent because that was the thing I wanted to bring to the surface to go, it's okay when I'm in a room of people who look like they've been doing this for years Mm -hmm. um, and not compare myself too much, but actually go, I'm okay. And, and, and to accept that I'm on my own journey. And because I think we do that a lot. I did it on the bus with this guy, Philip. I, I thought, well, I've got you, you're, you know, I've done more running than, than you. I yes. think that's a natural <laughs> tendency to compare ourselves. Yes. With. Yes. <laughs> but but it's, it's interesting that it hel- at some level it helps us and hinders us. And so what I wanted to do on the day was to really focus on, this was my journey, regardless of how long it took. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. And, I, you know, Carol Dweck talks about this in Growth Mindset. Mm-hmm. Never compare yourself to somebody else because you'll fail before you start. Actually, what you should do is if you feel you're a 5 out of 10, how do you get to a 6 out of 10? And then how do you get to a 7 out of 10? Not aim to be a 10 out of 10 straight away.
0: I wonder when it comes to that feeling of anxiety and difficulty and challenge, how do you know if you're pushing yourself for benefit or if you're pushing yourself for the sake of being somebody who pushes themselves? Yeah. And uh, does that make sense? Like there's nuance there. It's like, um, sometimes our body tells us stuff that we ignore because we want to accomplish something. And it's important to listen to the body. I think, um, I believe deeply that when we ignore the signals that our body gives us, that there are consequences down the road. Um, but there's a, balance to be struck because if all you do is listen to the hesitation you're missing out on so much so there, you know there's like a place there's like a sweet spot what how do you find that
1: yeah yeah look it's, a, it's a, it the, the the point of it i i think about there is i i go back to purpose so you know whenever you're for me whenever you're experimenting it has to be purposeful not, not necessarily driven by outcome or goal, but driven by purpose and learning. And so, uh, you know, if, if I park the, um, the physical challenge, and you're right, you know, I, I, I mean, do I want to suddenly do an ultra marathon at Mount Everest? No, probably not. Um, but, but for me, I think a lot of around the interpersonal um, risk that we take, the emotional risk. Um, it has to be safe to learn.
0: Um, well, there's already so much richness um, and some lovely takeaways uh, in our conversation already. Um, but as we're bringing things to a close, is there anything that you'd really like to leave people with today?
1: So uh, yeah, just two two things. Look, firstly, um, if you're interested in uh, my journey, you can go to my website, cultivateagility.com. Uh, which talks around, has my blog around these experiments and what I've learnt from them. Um, you mentioned, uh, my, my book there, Survive and Thrive. So, you know, it's about how do we help people, um, make progress on their leadership practice, particularly in times that are, uh, much more disruptive. And, and, and the third area I think, um, and particularly with COVID and the work that's happening is, um, If you're leading a team or part of a team, think about how you can experiment within your own teams to make progress. And, you know, very quickly, we've seen that um, there's enormous amount of innovation during this time of disruption. You know, no one would have thought that many people would be working from home, but we are. And the technology that's supporting that's been amazing. So let's use this time with a sense of purpose to, to make progress on the things that we didn't think were possible, but maybe with the right mindset, they are possible. And, um, yeah, so there, there, there are some things that I wanted to, to leave your listeners with. And I, I, I love the conversation. And, you know, if we had time again, I'd love to talk about improvisation comedy and stand up comedy and all of those sort of things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure we could have a really fun conversation about those experiments as well. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, well, Andrew, thank you so much. This has been really lovely. and uh, And I'm excited because I have some thoughts that I get to chew on after as well, which is always a bonus for me. So thank you.
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much.
0: Andrew's perspective that experiencing change involves some degree of processing loss is a particularly profound idea, and I'll be chewing on that for some time. I often share this model when I talk about getting out of the limbo of your old patterns, thoughts, and behaviors that are no longer serving you as having to climb a mountain of discomfort before you finally get to the peak of discovery. But for many people, even though there are better horizons ahead, they end up sliding back down to Comfort Town before they reach the top. The fear of plunging to sudden doom is too great, despite that discomfort isn't necessarily an indicator that actual danger is afoot. I wonder if taking a moment to pause, as Andrew suggests, to acknowledge the loss of what was previously comfortable and familiar, could be the additional weight in your pack that if you were to shed it would allow you the resourcefulness and energy needed to crest the top of something better. Perhaps you could ask yourself, what is the loss that I need to process to get up this hill? Visit podcast.com where you'll find the show notes for this episode, links to Andrew, his book, and more. If you have thoughts, questions, insights, or stories to share, send me an email to info at artofchange.com. Thank you for listening to The Change Podcast. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about.